retail media is that intersection of left brain and right brain. How do we as technologists give better data back to the storytellers to help build more compelling stories and serve that customer and have that customer say, hey, yeah, that was a great experience. Hi, I'm Andy Murray. Welcome to It's a Customer's World podcast. Now more than ever, retailers and brands are accelerating their quest to be more customer-centric. But to be truly customer-centric, it requires both a shift in mindset and ways of working, not just in marketing, but in all parts of the organization. In this podcast series, I'll be talking with practitioners, thought leaders, and scholars to hear their thoughts on what it takes to be a leader in today's customer-centric world. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the podcast. There's a lot of recent conversation and renewed interest in digital screens in store. Some say the next big wave of opportunity for retailers is connecting the physical stores via digital screens to a retailer's media network. But as retailers respond to this opportunity, there are some important questions that should be considered. Questions like, how do screens enhance the shopping experience versus turning the store into Times Square? What role will the screen in your hand play versus digital screens? And what are some of the challenges retailers need to overcome, such as integration, cost of capital, and total store experience? To shed light on some of these questions, I sat down with today's guest, Chris Regal. Chris is the founder and CEO of Stratacash, who are leaders in digital signing solutions. Chris has had years of experience in this space, and I first got to know him when I was overseeing the Walmart Smart Network back in 2013. Over the years, we've had many conversations about the role of screens in store, content strategies, and different approaches for how screens can maximize the value they bring to the shopping experience. I hope you enjoy the conversation as much as I did. Well, hi, Chris. It's so good to see you today, and thanks for coming on the show. Good to see you again, sir. You know, you and I have gotten uh, have a, quite a history in the screen space, I think, in 2013 when I was at Walmart and had the smart network. Uh, you and I worked together, and uh, I think we saw each other quite frequently as we were working through that whole uh, era. Yes, sir, absolutely. You deployed one of the largest in-store media networks uh, in existence. Well, the good news is it was already there uh, before I got there, but we did a lot of work together to keep moving it to the next level. Absolutely. Uh, that I think uh, was uh, really a lot of fun work and a lot of learnings about what works and what doesn't work uh, through that period. You know, one of the things that I'd like to start with in this kind of podcast, because it is about being customer-centric, is let's talk about digital signage from the context of the customer and the customer being the consumer, the shopper, because there's a lot of uh, conversation happening in the market today about the importance of digital screens like we've never seen before. Um, we'll get into why that's so and and how much um, energy's in the space for retailers to go explore this as well as brands. But, but before we get into that, what I'd like to do is start with the customer, the consumer, and get your perspective on what what problem does it solve? You know what what do you what have you seen work in terms of deployment, where shoppers really get a benefit that meets their needs and enhances their physical shopping experience? You know, it's a great question. I think the what we see are really kind of a two sided benefit for the shopper side. It's about how do I make that customer's journey 
easier, faster, more efficient, what we kind of call like a concierge service. So with the continued constraints on labor kind of across the board, if I'm a consumer and I'm trying to find something, I'm trying to answer a question. I'm trying to determine, hey, maybe I'm in a grocery store on a Tuesday. It's a quick mission trip versus a Saturday where I'm going to do my restock. Uh, what am I, am I shopping on brand loyalty, on cost? What am I trying to accomplish in that environment? Digital displays can influence that customer. And the, the kind of evolution of displays has gone from, it used to be simply, I'm putting a message in front of a consumer. I don't know who that consumer is. I don't target that consumer. Now, because of sensors, because of artificial intelligence, because of first-party data coming from the retailer, I can really tailor that message to use the overused analogy. It's the Tom Cruise Minority Report mm -hmm. opportunity. But the consumer is saying, hey, I'm here for a reason. I'm not right. touring the store because I have extra spare time and I'm just here to kind of look around. That's part of it, but I'm here to get something done. So how can I, as a retailer, help that customer accomplish that mission? And using digital, that could be, hey, I'm here for cough and cold issue. Uh, guide me to the right product. Help me understand, oh, is this safe for children or not safe for children? What dosage, what type? How can I use a digital concierge effectively to help drive that customer's solutions when there may not be a, a person available associate in the store, number one. Number two, how can I then use the data that I'm gathering from that point so that the retailer can know, hey, you're out of stock on this product on the shelf. And, and if the customer is there for that product, if it's not in stock, maybe it's in store, maybe it's in the back, but I can automate from computer vision systems and others, making sure the product's where it's supposed to be. If that customer has something uh, like a loyalty program, and I get a better price because I'm a loyalty customer versus not. Maybe I'm looking at, I was in Europe uh, several weeks in the last month, when you're now starting to see things like, what are the carbon footprints of product A versus product B? Interesting point. So if I'm a customer and I want to know, hey, what might be the least carbon footprint product? What is non-GMO? What are other? How do I portray that information to the customer to help them on that journey? And the benefit to the retailer there. A, obviously there's a, an advertising and a promotional point, but the, the bigger benefit B, you're giving that customer something that's differentiated as an experience, helping them along that path and becoming that concierge level experience that using technology to do that, you, you, you see in the home improvement sector. You used to go to a Home Depot because there was the ex-plumber there who could help you do that. Well, those guys don't seem to exist anymore. Right. But can I use technology to help get you access to either that same skill set in person or guide you through, hey, when it comes to home improvements, I'm probably the least capable guy you've ever met. What wrench do I need to re-secure a toilet properly at the point that I need to find that? I feel kind of dumb of not knowing it, but I'm in store. Hey, take me to this digital display that can help me understand. Yeah, here's what you need to buy. Here's what you're going to use it for. Here's how to use it. Here's a QR code that will walk you through it step by step in that process, give that customer something of value in that experience and then that drives the interaction. You're describing an environment and a thoughtful approach that centers on what the shopper needs and can benefit from and the particular experiences that they're looking for uh, and some of the challenges of retail with the reduced labor opportunity. But at the same time, a lot of the conversation that I hear is being driven by, this is an opportunity to get an advertising impression in front of a shopper to enhance revenue for a retail media network. 
which to me, I'm not sure it has that level of thoughtfulness in terms of shopper solution. I, I think some of that is you see, and we've seen this in a number, we have 50 plus retail media networks all around the world. And you'll see a lot of digital out of home people push into retail media because they know the lingo. And to the retailer, that's impressive. Oh, this is an out of home person. Out of home experiences coming from a billboard company are totally different than in-store experiences. In that in-store experience, we always, we cater to it and we say, think of the customer's audience. I'm a storyteller, no different than a Netflix or an Amazon. I have to give that customer a compelling story. I have to give them a reason to pay attention to it. If it's just I'm coming into your store and I'm blasting ads, no, that, that doesn't help me on that journey. Give that audience a reason to engage. Give that audience a reason to find benefit. Treat them like an audience and give them that compelling story. Help the brand's partner in that environment to give that compelling story. People need to have that connection and need to have that service point. Um, at the end of the day, from a retail experience perspective, and where retail media networks are different than digital out-of-home networks, digital out-of-home sell impression-based metrics. Retailers, hey guys, it's about selling the product on the shelves, the conversion metric. So how does that audience play into that conversion metric is the absolute key. And you see there's some retail media networks out there that say, hey, I've got single-digit conversion. Single-digit conversion, that's nothing to be proud about. You can get right. double-digit conversion if you're doing this right, if you're telling the right stories and helping that customer. It, it's a huge move-the-needle yeah. opportunity. Well, you and I both know retail moves, if you take a 30,000-foot view, retail moves on these big pendulums. We go all the way over here, then we come back all the way over there. And one of the pendulum swings, I think, has happened when we were working together 2013, 14, 15, up to 16. Um the, the smart network and the in-store screen strategy was continuing to grow. But then there was a bit of a shift in thinking that the only thing that really mattered in terms of screens was the one on the, on the consumer, the shoppers, in their pocket or in their hand. And that mentality then took the emphasis away from uh, what where the future might be looking toward a, a display, in-store digital display and screens um, to, to more of an app based on the phone. Now... We see that move in the other direction a bit, uh, matter of fact, pretty quickly. What, what's driving that and what failed on the phone is the only screen you need to a more enhanced environment with digital dis uh, display? Super easy. Um, and in spending time in Europe in the last several weeks and talking to European retailers versus American retailers, in the U.S., dot-com and mobile developed first, and now they're kind of doubling back towards in-store in a big way. In Europe, it was in-store first, then doubling back to dot-com and mobile. And the, the answer is simple. It's Jeff Bezos. When uh, Amazon went public to say, hey, we're making 30-plus billion dollars a year, every retailer said, wait a minute. We want some of that. We, he, he, where's my fair share is my favorite retailer yeah. phrase. Uh, so they said, hey, there's money here. Um, and that they chase that and the, the infrastructure. And it makes perfect sense to do dot-com, to do mobile. That's cloud-based services. You can do that fast. And it, it's not a huge infrastructure play. There's infrastructure there and investment, but nowhere near what the in-store piece is. So it was a quick, dirty, high rate of return. Make it happen. Great. Makes perfect sense. Now they're coming back and saying, well, wait a minute. If I look at the number of shoppers that go into a Walmart, Target, Kroger, et cetera, the number of physical footballs in that store is much higher than the online. So the elephant in the room is, wait, these physical stores still matter. 
And then you're going back to the retailers and saying, hey, you know, you have, being in Bentonville and, mm. and looking at that, you have an audience in store that's greater than the Super Bowl every single week. How do you monetize that? How do you use that as part of your strategy? It's not a single point strategy. It's part of that bigger mix. But with respect to Mr. Bezos, you know, Whole Foods is the only retail outlet and that dwarfs in comparison. Retailers, you have this muscular retail network that you can now monetize in multiple different ways. Why don't you unleash the Kraken and really go for those big audiences that are there in store? Yeah, I also think there's something else in play too. And I think that we've overestimated why we think shoppers would tend to lean into using their phone in the shopping experience. Uh, when you go in store, I don't think people generally want to be on their phone. They use their phone for probably mostly on working through a shopping list or chatting with their spouse who's put them on that errand in the first place. And those are at least my, my experiences. But there's two types of shopping. There's this heads-down shopping where you're looking at your phone. And if you really watch people shop, I don't see a lot of that. And then there's heads up shopping where, you know, my feeling is if you're using your phone in the shopping experience, uh, it's usually to address a failure point in the store environment that didn't service that need properly. And so you're reaching for your phone to solve something that you, you know, couldn't get solved some other way. And it's to me, it's kind of like, hey, you know what? Uh, we all like remote working or we don't like remote working, but what we certainly don't like is going into the office and then getting on Teams or Zoom all day, right? And this is a bit like going into the store and pulling your phone out and saying, well, I could have done my shopping online for that experience. And so I maybe it's a post-COVID phenomenon where we tend to want to experience the store for why we're there in the first place and not really an online environment. You hit the absolute perfect word, which is experience. And as a master marketer, you get the point of retailist theater. Within that, if I'm buying Tide Pods, Tide Pods are the same whether I'm buying them from Amazon or Walmart. In the same container, it becomes more of a price point. But you look at, in a grocery environment, deli, bakery, the meat counters, the theater of the, hey, here's the all the different selections, all the different options. You can look at the product, produce, that, that theater of the mind of I want to give that customer that great experience and that ability to choose and the ability to really get a sense where a qualitative comes in is opposed to just quantitative. So that ability to say within that retail theater, okay, customer, we get it uh, from a retail perspective. And how can I make your journey better, faster, more efficient, while also driving a performance metric on advertising revenue? Great. It's, it's a new unlock category. However, you always have the challenge, which is in the retail environment, retailers love infrastructure paid for by others. So it, the the fundamentals of, hey, that screen has to have power, has to have network, has to have infrastructure. So all of a sudden that $700 screen becomes a $5,000 deployed. Yeah, that's that could be real in a retail environment. It's real capital. It's real capital. And in that retail environment, in, in a lot of the work that we do in the European environments, uh, you're building these either rev share networks or finance networks. One of the biggest challenges to retail media networks is simply who pays for them and how they pay for them. You've got the shoppers, and the shoppers are a known quantity, a monetizable quantity. How do you get that retail media revenue point, but also for the retailer, the big win to sell more product? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And and you're absolutely right um, about Europe. I spent four years uh, in the UK with Ast as the chief customer officer, and and had the in-store screen strategy as part of what we were working through. 
And boy, Europe was far more advanced in thinking about it holistically. And if you don't get greedy and you're willing to, you know, think about it as a, a need to do it in partnership, then you can come up with solutions that that really work. And you can see all over Europe uh, executions that think about it more broadly. And one of the differences I see between the U.S. at times and some U.S. retailers and and in the in the Europe approach is that it, it's often a case where a merchant uh, in a certain category that has may have high discovery needs or a lot of you know inf- information maybe it's a cosmetics category or beer wine spirits type category where a supplier will say I'll pay for it let me put the display in or the screen in right. and drive content and those are easier things to go execute but then when you step back and look at the total store you get a bit of a dog's breakfast right. of multiple suppliers a lot of them don't have the ongoing follow-on service and so a lot of screens don't work and no one really thought about the content across the total box and how does this really deliver the, that retailer's brand experience across those different areas. And one of the things that I really appreciate from the work we did together back in Walmart is the the importance of content and how that kit can't be just branded content. It has to solve a need. And we were constantly iterating in content. Matter of fact, we set up our own JV with Studio Square mm-hmm. to come up with different formats that went well beyond what you might see in a typical a brand CPG supplied piece of content. And it felt probably a bit more like um, a more dynamic PDP page in some cases, depending on the mission of that yep. category. So you know, what do you say to retailers that are thinking about this space and the importance of looking at it as a store, total store strategy then, uh, category A versus category B? Yeah, I, the first thing I would say is retailer, if you have a brand that's saying, hey, let me come in and I'm gonna put my own experiences in, um, free is never free, right? There's right. there's there's always a play there. And from the retailer perspective, as a tech has evolved, really even the last kind of three years, every display point should be a sensor and intelligence point. That sensor intelligence point, how many customers, who, how frequently, because then I can start to target and really try to help that customer along. Take a category like cosmetics, the ability to say, hey, I have a simple camera on that device an African-American versus a Latina versus a Caucasian customer comes in, they're going to buy different products. And within that, how can I help guide her through that process to say, hey, this could be more interesting to you. This might be a, a point uh, of, of service within. When you go into other categories, alcohol or other, hey, I have an alcohol advertisement and U.S. alcohol advertising is highly regulated and very tricky. But the ability to say, hey, I, I denote from computer vision there's a child in mm-hmm. my shot of this. So, hey, if I detect children in that environment and there's going to be no alcohol advertising, I'm going to put up mm. a, a branded message for the retailer, as it were, to try to make sure I'm being a good steward of that customer's relationship. But that that data play where the, the retail media networks have evolved very dramatically is moving from simply I'm putting a message to, as a sensor point, how can I feed data back into the bigger machine to give that retailer information about the customer about where they're going in store, about why they're there, to help them serve them better. You have some very specific categories. I'll use the example to say pets and baby, right? They're very binary. You either do or do not have them. If I'm walking through in a grocery environment baby, maybe I cut through that aisle. If I'm there for 30 seconds, yeah, you're just cutting through. If I'm there for three minutes, well, there's something there, something there of interest. 
But the retailer has great first-party data. They know if you bought anything, but they don't know the intent if you didn't buy. And then if you didn't buy, why didn't you buy? Was it price? Was it selection? So as you get into more deep knowledge of that consumer's journey, you can build deeper personas around that consumer to help understand what might serve the customer better, how can you serve them more efficiently, and get them the things that could be of interest. And in that retailer's environment, things that you as a retailer may not be converting on today. So where's that lost opportunity? Well, that takes a pretty good understanding of customer data strategies. And one of the things I see, Chris, is whether it could be a um, closed-circuit TV provider that sees this opportunity, then adds to it elements uh, to create a digital display, or an electronic shelf label provider that was doing ELSs and then sees there's an extension to that. Um, they often, and there's many of them now, Absolutely. I, I think yep. with the current... Uh, energy put into the marketplace from retail media network opportunities, we're seeing these pop up like mushrooms after the rain. Yep. And so, but the roots of where they've come from really informs how they look at this space. And I think a lot of them miss that opportunity or they don't really have that deeper understanding of customer data, especially if they've come from a security roots or, you know, something in that realm, they've missed that. And I think it's really important for a retailer to think Who's going to integrate all of these digital environments? And I don't know if you guys look at it that way or how you approach it, but you really can't afford to have six different suppliers servicing different elements of digital signaling from an in-store environment. Completely. One of the, I'd say, humorous trope is when customers, when we start to engage with them, they're saying, well, who do you need to talk to within our environment? My first question is, I want to talk to your data scientist. Hmm. Who within, in, in every retailer size has a data science team? I want to talk to, and, and coming from the nerd side of the business, I want to talk to the nerds. Let, let's talk about your data. And within that data point in comparing online versus in-store. In online, you know everything about the consumer. In in-store, you retailer, you know the consumer was there and you know what they bought. But how do we then use that retail media network in the environment to learn more about the consumer, serve that consumer better? So you're building these large data lakes around the consumer for greater personalization. And then that in-store converts back to their online and even to their home now with connected TV coming yep. in and, and streaming advertising, which is getting really interesting to target from the retail media side. So there's all of these kind of new opportunities, but it starts at that fundamental data point. The message, the marketing, the curation of the audience, all that's super important. But the more I could say to you as a storyteller and as a marketer, hey, I can break down in this category, here's the 40 different personas that are there, then you can start to tell that story in the most effective way, knowing the different customer types, spend patterns, buy patterns, et cetera. It's really at the uh, retail media is that intersection of left brain and right brain. How do we as technologists give better data back to the storytellers to help build more compelling stories and serve that customer and have that customer say, hey, yeah, that was a great experience. Yeah. Well, e even back in 2015, we had every screen IP addressable in the store and was doing some very interesting things with data that um, was really critical to what we were trying to get done. But if you look at even in Europe with UK, uh, you know, it may be raining in Huddersfield, but not in Leeds, right? And weather has a lot to do with it. And being able to integrate so many different signals to then create store level experiences based on those signals yeah, that, that's a fairly sophisticated approach, and you need to think that through ahead of time of where do you want to be with this kind of technology to serve your customers that's on brand for you. 
completely right. And when you look at, uh, especially with intelligent displays and, and micro-targeting, as it were, the ability to say, I know a local community, I know here's the football match this weekend, here's the team that's being promoted in that area. So that's a reason to buy beer uh, or maybe to buy aspirin if they play poorly. Yeah, um, exactly. What are those opportunities to give that customer an occasion of use around a particular product or to remind that customer, hey, it's Mother's Day, Father's Day, et cetera? The more, and it comes back to the relevance point, how can I serve that consumer better to say, hey, do you remember X? Or did you know uh, it's going to be warm or cold this weekend and you may want to know A or B? Uh, there's a really interesting project we're doing for a retailer where this retailer does no automotive services at all. But uh, we have cameras when cars pull into that parking lot. The retailer is looking at that car, and if they detect a cracked windshield, they send a message to the consumer to say, hey, you have a cracked windshield. You may not know that using computer vision and automated intelligence. And then they give them to a referral to a company across town that does that windshield repair, glass repair. So this retailer who does nothing in the automotive category is making money by trying to help the customer to know, hey, you have a cracked windshield, you get this fixed and cross categorization in a way that they'd never monetized before. Okay. I've got to challenge you on this one because that is a fantastic story, but I want to know when does it get creepy? Like, where is that line from your perspective? That's a great question. And the legislatively in the U.S. and Canada, biometrics are a, your face, you own that, you have to opt in from a permissive perspective. And uh, I, I say the, the creepiness factor is a gradient based on age. We're all uh, of a certain age to know the Philip K. Dick mm -hmm. anthologies on robots. And, and you see a lot of things about AI in the news today, some of which are real, some of which are just good headlines. That being said, if I'm if I'm helping the customer with a point that could be safety, that could be health, that could be other, typically the customers find that beneficial. But it's it's an age, it's also a cultural. If I'm doing work in China or India that's biometrically specific, the laws are much more permissive. The customers find it a point of honor. It could be Mr. Andy Murray is walking into a bank branch into a store, and I celebrate Mr. Murray by putting his name and his likeness on the screens as a show of respect. Here, people would put on the tinfoil hats and be a little very bit freaked out, yeah. very freaked out. But the ability to say relevance in messaging, if I'm coming in and I use the pets and mm. baby analogy, if I don't have a dog, don't give me a message on dog food because I don't care. Right. What are the points that could be interesting? Right. Uh, but it, it is always a discussion of where is that line I think younger yep. consumers yep. who live in public very much online in public are more accepting to it uh, than older consumers may be. But it, it's and it sounds like for sure it's influenced by market completely. And I could see uh, I don't know if you guys are doing displays on EV screen EV charging stations, but you know you pull in, get plugged in, and then all of a sudden an ad comes up and says, "We notice your car is kind of dirty. I think you need some Armor All wire jumping in the store." That might be offensive to me. I would think if uh, they recognize that. I've got a dirty car, but maybe not to others, you know? I, I was talking to a large financial brand in Europe uh, yeah. two weeks ago who's doing micro-targeting of consumers uh, at petrol stations, uh, that if the consumer has a automobile that's greater than 100,000 euro, they're paying a 2,500 euro CPM, well, where normal retail media network might be 6, 8, 10, 12, they're getting 2,500 per CPM to go at that ultra-luxury sure. customer. When the, the petrol provider understood that kind of money was out there, they moved that network as fast as they possibly could with a point of, hey, I'm putting a camera to detect that's right. a more expensive car. 
easy use case at the technology side, right. but that brand really, really, really wanted to get the absolute yeah. customer on the move, highly targeted for them. Okay. I love that. That's a great, that's a great case study. You got me on that. I can see why that would make a lot of sense. Um, what have you learned about working with retailers that is important to know uh, in terms of trying to do this well and do it right? Um, and let me just preempt that with one of the things that I've learned from being on the retailer side of this equation is that it's a complicated tech stack. There's a lot there to do, and there's there weren't a lot of people that understood it. So getting the right level of sponsorship really means a lot, and you have to get that to be fairly senior. That's that's the one thing I would suggest is that it's it's you've got senior level support. Completely agree. I think the the first thing um, I joke if I ever retire from this business, I'm going to go and negotiate peace in the Middle East because that's easier than alignment in many retailers. Um, it's it's driving the us mentality versus the we versus them mentality. I tend to think of that as merchant first. So within any retail organization, retail media folks will come in and say, "Hey, I can drive a retail media network. Great, but if you're picking the pocket of the merchant on trade dollars." That's not going to fly. And the merchants are incredibly powerful, as yep. you know. So how do we align to be able to say, this is accretive. I'm not taking trade dollars from left pocket to right pocket. I'm giving information intelligence back at the retail side and at the brand side that everybody finds value to. And the retailers understanding the monetization of data is a huge point that people generally overlook today. But it's building that kind of full win scenario versus oh, I'm gaining money here, but taking money there to the retailer, it's net zero. So no, it, how do I build benefit for all? Well, and it, that's a huge learning. And I think when we had the Walmart Smart Network with the NCAP display program, that was really a program constructed with the merchant in those areas. And the merchant drove that as much as anything because they saw real benefit and were very involved in the planning of that than it, than it being something sold from the outside really uh, has just a, a, a revenue grab from a different part of the business. Completely. I was at Shop Talk Europe in Barcelona two weeks ago and probably talked to 40 or 50 retailers and 40 or 50 brands. And the brands would say they get disharmony from the retailer when they want to do in-store media because you have the retail media teams that aren't really talking to the merch teams and, hey, merch wants me to spend here in trade dollars. Retail media wants me to spend there and I have X amount of dollars. Uh, so it, it's harmonizing that message through harmonizing the benefit through the numbers in terms of conversion. We've all seen them can be tremendous. So there's plenty of money to go from the brand side and the brand side wants that engagement. They get that uh, in lots of parts of media buys, there are soft numbers, but in store, it's a hard number and product conversion, case conversion is easily tracked by both sides. Everybody knows the, the real ground truth there. So they like it as a category. They just have to have that sense that everybody's rolling in the same direction and you get alignment because of its merchant versus media in that presentation back to a brand. They're going to go to merchant every time. That's the person that they have to work with more closely. I do think you have to be a bit careful about the measurement element. If you look at last click attribution, believe it or not, you know, 10 years on from when this was talked about as not the best way, we're still using it. But you're going to get some probably incredible ROAS because it is the last point, no matter what, unless you're really doing a multi-touch attribution modeling to say, you know, what role did that end cap that you walk past to get to the checkout play if that item that's on that end cap is in your basket already? 
um, you're going to get a lot of attribution. The, the other thing that I think you can do with digital that brands and retailers just now starting to understand. So I have a digital end cap. I can track the number of people that are coming to that end cap, engaging with that end cap. But I can also do things like variation of price testing. Am I in a particular category getting lots of looks but not conversions? So if I vary price by 3%, 5%, 10%, how does that track conversion versus the look? So how can I drive action and insight into a brand, what we call kind of testable propositions? Hey, this product at 99 cents gets a lot of looks, but not as much basket time. You drop that to 79 cents, all of a sudden you're getting huge conversion. And being digital and the ability to test that very agilely, if the retailer has that precept and that ability to do it and the brand understands it, you can establish kind of new ground truth of, hey, this works in this way in a way that we never really would have thought of because we didn't have that insight to that point of sale. That's that's fascinating. What are you seeing in terms of, um, in Europe at least, with, uh, I've seen these like four foot uh, end cap or side, side, side counter uh, electronic shelf labels, um, which really to me is is like the ultimate spot because you're especially if you're even in areas like food where you might say, I, I need keto-friendly or yep. plant-based. There's lots of information that you can't really deliver yep. on a paper shelf tag. Yep. Are you seeing that take off in any kind of way? Or it, it, It's starting to, but it's still in its its infancy. The cost for that kind of digital shelf edge display mm-hmm. still is relatively high. Call that 500 US dollars, 500 euro equivalent. Mm-hmm. Uh, that in the next 24 months goes down an order of magnitude, maybe 100, 150 dollars. Uh, once that reaches that kind of price threshold from an infrastructure perspective, I think it becomes much more broadly used. You've seen a lot of customers in Europe go to the e-paper price points, and they're transactional but not inspirational. That shelf then allows you to be inspirational. Right. Yeah, and it's probably not right for all categories. Right. Uh, but for where you've got browsing uh, opportunities, boy, what a great opportunity to enhance the browsing experience. Completely agree. And, and because the pallets are large enough that you can have uh, QR codes on that, so the ability to, again, serve the customer, help that customer, hey, I want to, if it's a Campbell Soup display, here's a meal idea that I can take with me easily. Customers understand that and value that as a quick transaction or the technology is an enabler. Yeah. One of the things we started the conversation with is some of the buzz and hype that is uh, mounting and growing every day. It seems around uh, how important the in-store digital screen space is. Uh, We saw the retail media network really explode as, again, Catalyst being the Amazon publishing and then COVID hitting and e-commerce growth. How fast do you feel this is going to evolve? Is it the hype going to stay pretty much ahead of the actual reality of deployment? Because this isn't as easy to deploy as... You know, so what's your forecast over the next couple of years? I, I always love the kind of Gartner hype cycle, right? Yeah, have I love the that. peak sure. and the chasm of despair. Sure. Uh, think, yeah. well, in talking to uh, with European retailers, I probably talked to thirty that were in that chasm of despair, right? Which was we did it, we don't really like it because we're not getting the kind of date off of it. It's more broadcast centric instead of targeting, and now we're going to redo it. So the uh, the beauty of the retail industry is that it's try, vary, try, vary until you succeed. So it's all about that incrementalism. Uh, I think what you'll see is over the next one, three, five years, you have two great intersections that are happening. One is retailers are understanding that differentiation from Amazon is, hey, I have 5,000 stores across the country with product on a shelf and hundreds of millions of consumers coming through my stores here that I can influence that customer. Two, 
the technology continues to decrease by orders of magnitude in terms of cost. So the intersection that's coming is when I'm matching that volume of customers and volume of opportunity with data and with tech that's in a decreasing point, will you see a exponential growth of in-store? Absolutely. The biggest challenges still tend to be the funding models and the infrastructure models because stores are never built out to have all these screens within them. So you're, you have that tax, as it were, from just power network to make these devices go. Well, there's been a few big announcements this week that I won't name names on, but of big uh, investments in uh, store rollout and big retailers looking at certain uh, different display, in-store display technologies, screens. Um, and, and I've looked at those, and, and part of me wonders uh, what customer problem they're trying to solve, and it does feel a bit like it's driven by the hype cycle and deep pockets, uh, which means as we've seen many times, you'll go the the delusion uh, curve is going to be there for them in in some point in the future, and then perhaps you start working through okay now how do we solve these customer problems? I think, in my opinion, you can avoid that if you try to look past the the hurry up and let's just invest capital and get everything in stores to let's start with a strategy and really understand what trying to, kind of problem we need to solve for the customer. Completely. And you have um, in the sector, uh, people always ask me, who who do you compete with? Who do you watch for? There's a lot of little guys in the sector, but that doesn't matter to me. The guys that we watch in the sector that are consequential are Google and Microsoft. The other guys are big enough to move the needle. And you see what Microsoft's done with Netflix in terms of the advertising concession to be able to do streaming. Microsoft gets that big picture of being able to say, how can I monetize that customer th in a 360 degree point? and right. take information from in-store to the at-home. That's a very, very smart play. Uh, with their investments in the sector where they face challenges is understanding that, hey, just slapping a screen on something doesn't necessarily make it a better experience for the consumer. And in that consumer's environment, you don't want to turn the store into a casino, the blinky right. lights problem of overwhelming their senses. So I have to be creative. I have to give the storytellers the right palette to tell their story and to enhance the journey for the customer. Uh, but just the idea of screen wild everywhere, no, that's that becomes a negative in the shopper's experience and turns them off. But if you're trying to get real estate and cover the ground and you know get entrenched, because it is difficult to unwind those, uh, it's probably easier to iterate to a better content experience than to uh, wait too long to invest, right? So that's a bit of the dilemma I'm sure they're facing. I, I think so. And I think the the retailers know that there's um, there's value there. How do you unlock that value? Uh, we joke internally to say it's the, the problem of the bear and the peanut butter, right? The bear knows that they want what's inside that container. They just don't know how to open that container, right? They can smell it. They, can, they want to taste it. How do you get in and unlock that value? And it's different for different retailers. There's different categories, different opportunities within in an environment or I have a membership club and I have first party authenticated data throughout the whole thing. That's a different play than might be convenience um, or grocery or other. So you, you end up having to tailor towards that proper customer experience. That being said, there'll be multiple attempts, successes, failures, and where retailers are great is learning from their own opportunities and learning from others to see, okay, iteratively, what works, what doesn't work. It's a huge industry, but it's very tiny mm -hmm. in terms of the number of people that travel the different retailer circuits. So everyone watches everyone else, sees what works, what doesn't work. And the the beauty now of 
I say inflation is an interesting thing. Um, one of the drivers, I think, of retail media in the last three years, the ability to say, hey, now you have an inflation problem that you didn't really have the last 25, 30 years. So the the driver of if I'm a, a big retailer, I have Jeff Bezos on one side nipping at my heels and inflation on the other side causing problems. Where can I unlock new revenue? And if that's the conversation starter that starts the in-store piece of retail media networks, great. Because ultimately, if I can help that shopper through the journey more successfully, make the retailer more successful, if they're making money on, on the retail media, wonderful. If I'm selling more product, wonderful. If the brands are happier and the consumers are happier, wonderful. You can build that kind of 360 success. Well, I love that. And I love the idea of starting with the customer and trying to understand what he or she wants that'll solve a problem. It's a lot easier to pivot a digital shelf experience than it is to reposition screens in store when you've realized you put them in places that didn't make any sense. Um, that's a pretty capital intensive thing. And, and it's, so you have to be much more thoughtful about what is it you want to have happen. Completely. And if you think about um, print material going into store, you think about the challenges with labor, the challenges with workforce uh, pre and post pandemic. Anything I can do that allows a central marketer to know, hey, I have, if I print a thousand posters and send them out there, how many actually make it live yeah. in the store? If I do this digitally, I can know that of the thousand sites, 998 of them got it and two stores are under remodel and it happened within three minutes. The certainty is there. The ability to change on a dime with inflation now, we work with customers all the time that are moving into digital initiatives in a number of areas because the, the price fluidity is changing so frequently and they want to be able to message to the customer, hey, here's why. We're not trying to poke a stick at you, but yeah, our cost on trans of this product went up, so this is why we have to move the price. But you're able to have that discussion and to keep a better dialogue with that audience. Yeah, I, mean, I think QSRs figured it out. Um, the way they use the digital menu boards and even in a drive-through experience, uh, time of day and what's there and being able to adjust where items are out of stock with the customer doesn't even know it. I mean, yeah, it can be done. It's just taking that kind of thinking into the grocery retailer, big box mass retailers uh, is still early, early stages to do that well. Completely. We have the privilege of serving McDonald's as a customer. We drive all their digital mini boards in the United States, 125,000 plus digital experiences. Learning from what's an incredibly sharp organization, very smart folks uh, in the pandemic, how to vary product based on availability, vary product based on price because, hey, this commodity might have spiked and you know, your consumer has X amount of money to spend. There's a lot of really insightful learning to say when I'm working with that customer, how do I serve the customer better to convert where there's some interesting DNA between QSR and direct retail? Well, if it was all print-based, you would never be able to do the A-B testing, get live feedback, you know, all the things that you can do from a digital screen approach. Exactly. Um, well, Chris, this has been a fascinating conversation. You clearly are an expert in the space and have got the uh, I don't want to say scars, but the uh, learnings to prove it. <laughs> we both have the experience of uh, learning the corporate world, as it were. Right. And, and getting internal stakeholder alignment uh, is often some of the biggest challenges, especially, as you said, a, a retailer moves best when they can move in congruence between marketing, merchandising, revenue teams, and getting that congruence to happen all at the same time can be magical when it does, and you can really move the ball forward. And we both experienced when that works well and when it doesn't. Um, and I think keying in on making sure you're solving for the consumer, making sure you're solving for the merchant, 
And the one thing that you also have to solve for, which no one owns, is the store itself. So it's really hard to find who owns the store. You'll get 10 different answers inside of a retailer when you go down that path, which makes your job pretty hard. And, you know, I'm convinced you probably could negotiate a peace deal in uh, uh, exactly in Europe. So, uh, well, thank you for your time. Uh, Anything else you'd like to cover? I think just the, the understanding within the retailer space that retailers as media platforms can be interesting. But at the end of the day, you're still a retailer. You're still there to move product. Uh, the appeal of the extremely high margins in retail media is alluring, but do that in a way that you both capture those margins and serve the customer best and enable storytelling and enable that overall brand view. Then you win on all fronts as opposed to winning one battle and losing the greater war. Yeah, love it. Wise advice, great advice. Thanks. Well, we'll, I'll have my eye open for uh, what you do next and how you guys keep evolving this space. I'm sure your phone's going to continue to ring as uh, more people look at this as an answer for footfall and traffic and being able to connect a lot more dots than what's out there today. So thanks, Chris. Thank you, sir. That's it for this episode of It's a Customer's World. If you found this helpful and entertaining, I would be so grateful if you could share our show with your friends, and I'd be super happy if you subscribe so you can be updated as we publish new episodes. And if you really want to help, leave us a five-star rating and a positive review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. It's a Customer's World podcast is a product of the University of Arkansas's Customer-Centric Leadership Initiative and a Walton College original production. 